You, have you ever run camera? It was 4 p.m. I was sitting alone in the videotape library. A producer had burst through the door and was pointing at me. No, I haven't, I responded. No problem. Come with me. He led me down to the television studio where Jim Simpson was sitting behind a desk about to start his college football show. We're short on people, the producer said to me. Put this headset on and stand behind this camera. If Simpson shifts in his chair, move the camera a little bit to follow him. I did the entire half-hour show, moving the camera about a quarter of an inch left or right as needed. I'm proud to say I never missed a beat. That's the way it was in those early years. We were often scrambling, and everybody did what we could to help out. In my entire 30-plus year career with ESPN, it was the only time I was ever behind the camera. After a few months driving and working in the mailroom, I had been promoted to the videotape library. It was simple enough work. If a producer needed tape from, say, the 1975 World Series, we'd pull it and sign it out. There were no computers or digital video files back then. We kept paper records and worked with index cards and shelves of videotapes. The library was staffed 24 hours a day, and at various times, I worked all three eight-hour shifts, including the late one from midnight to 8 a.m. During those wee morning hours, there were just a handful of people in the building, each doing our own thing. Still, we managed to find each other. Chuck Pagano and I would screen hockey games together. Chris Berman would drop by to pick up some videotapes. Or we would all just shoot the breeze in the hallways during breaks. By the time I started at ESPN in January 1981, we'd only been on the air for a year and four months, but we were growing so fast that our physical space had a hard time keeping up. We now had several buildings. We were short on parking, people doubled up on desks, and whenever we needed more room, we simply brought in another trailer. Oh, those trailers. Ten people, like Rosa Gaddy, Chris LaPlaca, Mike Soltis, and the communications staff, crammed into them, all using folding tables as desks, all sharing one phone, using a single IBM typewriter that froze up during the cold winter months. When I delivered mail to them, the wind rushed in from the open door and would blow loose papers all over the place. And I'd hear, For crying out loud, George, shut the damn door. The buildings were very plain. There were no fancy offices, and after a while, the trailers became a point of pride. We were working continuously, so there was no time to even think about amenities. Besides, we were always so short on money that on paydays, everybody rushed to the bank to deposit our checks in case they bounced. In making three sweeps a day to deliver mail, or anything else that needed to be delivered, I discovered quickly that ESPN was not a hierarchical place, and that there was little formality. That was also obvious when I shuttled our executives and on-air talent to and from the airport. 
On a good day, the trip from Bristol to Bradley International took at least 45 minutes, and I had them all to myself. I took full advantage of that time by asking lots of questions. What do you do? What do you like about it? What's happening in your area? I not only learned about all the opportunities that ESPN offered, I developed a lot of personal relationships. Being a driver in the mailroom allowed me to get to know everybody at ESPN, and it taught me that there is opportunity in every job. During my very first week at ESPN,